Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to this broadcast of Dynamic Love Web Church. It's a blessing for me to bring you the gospel of God's grace. This message that I preach is uh, part of our uh, online web church that we have on Sunday mornings. And so if you are in South Africa or in the East, I mean the people that are in the West, uh, this is very early in the morning for them. If you ever want to slot into our live stream that we do via Zoom, you are very welcome. Just uh, write to us at info at dynamicministries.com or where you see this on YouTube in the comments, just say, please contact me and we will uh, send you a message and give you the links and put you on the list to uh, give you the link so that you can slot in should you like to do it that way. Well, today I'm going to talk about the faith that brings uh, the fruit of the Spirit in us. And I would like to start to read from Hebrews chapter 5. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 5. And I want to just say this is an introduction. The fact that we believe in Jesus, uh, that he died, that he rose again, and that our hope is inside him, saves us from a lot of pain in the world. It saves us from a lot of fear and anxiety and all those kind of things. And I'm going to explain that today. Here it is, verse 1. It says, Every high priest is selected from amongst people and is appointed to present uh, to the people, or excuse me, to present the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those that are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices first for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor upon himself, but he receives it when God calls him, just as what Aaron was called. So what is said here is that the Old Testament priests, God picked them from amongst the people. And the reason why God picked them from amongst the people is so they could deal gently with the people, knowing that they are also weak because they first had to sacrifice for their own sins and then they would also then sacrifice for the sins of the other people they would bring these sacrifices so uh, we find here that God wanted these people to the priest to deal with the people gently and with compassion his plan was not to destroy the people his plan was not that in the dealings with God that there would be anger and outburst of anger and the destruction of people and any of those kind of things. His idea was that these people that were appointed as pertaining to matters dealing with the people in front of God and God in front of the people is that uh, compassion and gentleness would be at the order of the day, that these people would be helped. That's why he picked weak people. People had to be weak. They had to be sinners in order to qualify as a priest. You couldn't qualify as a priest if you didn't have weakness. You had to have sin. Then you had to sacrifice for your own sins. And after you sacrifice for your own sins, you'll do that for the people. And then you will at least have some kind of compassion. I said in a short message I made, I know everybody don't, uh, it's not on uh, Facebook and on Instagram and so, but in one of the short messages I made, I said, if you go to a dentist, uh, you basically have to go to the dentist and tell him, open your mouth, let me see if you've got all your teeth. Be he needs to at least have one or two lost so that he can have compassion. He must know what you what he's talking about. He must know the pain that you're going through. He'll have compassion on you. He will know when you call him in the middle of the night and say, I've got a lot of pain, I don't know what to do, that he'll have some compassion. I remember years ago, 
we were, Elena was giving school in one town, I was in another town and I went the weekend, went to where she stayed and then I got this problem with one of my teeth, man, and uh, I opened the phone book and just called a dentist there and he immediately came and then he said that he knows what this is. His father struggled with his teeth. He himself struggled. And I could just see this compassion. And that's the kind of thing that Jesus Christ is talking about here uh, in the Word. It is, he is a God of compassion that knows our weaknesses. And in the Old Testament, we even found this. But the problem that there was with the Old Testament uh, priests was that they could only minister um, what I would say like Band-Aid for a cut. Let's say somebody's got severe depression and they into self-mutilation, they're cutting themselves and so forth. Um, and they come to the emergency room. What they're going to do is they're going to stitch you up and give you some Band-Aid and antibiotics and that kind of a thing. And then you're going to go home again. And then you can come again maybe in a month or so and you will be helped again. I mean, they can only treat the wounds, but they cannot solve the problem. Why? Because in themselves, in, in the Old Testament priests, in themselves they had weakness. They couldn't solve the death problem that men had. So God then said, let me bring a high priest that can really solve the problem, that can solve the death issue, that can truly solve the sin issue, where it's not a matter of forgiveness of sins like the lambs. I mean, uh, Jesus Christ did die to forgive us of sin, but the forgiveness of sin in the New Testament is not equivalent with the forgiveness of sin that there is in the Old. The Old Testament forgiveness of sin was a person went with a lamb. Uh, the lamb was basically then sacrificed by the priest. The priest in inspected the lamb and then looked at the lamb being spotless, the lamb would then die, and then the person would go away with a sense of forgiveness. That forgiveness would mean that he would still be blessed by God. That is what the Jewish people understood under the forgiveness of sins. If you would sin, then the promise that was made that they thought or part of the covenant, the covenant blessings, would then not be yours anymore. But should you uh, go for the forgiveness of sins if you have sinned then you would continue to have the covenant blessing uh, which would be that the promises that there would be but you would find that this person would sin again and then he goes for uh, forgiveness of sin every now and then or as they I think once a year uh, they would really have this for forgiveness of sins and they would go away there I can promise you uh, the way any person that doesn't really understand the grace of God would go away from a church service on a Sunday after they've taken communion or the uh, reverend has declared to you your sins are now forgiven. You'll go away home feeling a bit better. And that is how these people would go away after that sacrifice. So even in the Old Testament was the relief of guilt. Uh, I'm feeling guilty or the idea of a distance between me and God. Even in the Old Testament sacrifices, people could experience that. And in the church today, through wrong understanding of the gospel, we've narrowed down what Jesus Christ has done for us only to a feeling where we know, thank God I'm not guilty anymore. I want to tell you that that feeling you can have all the time. 
It is something God has come to give us anyway. He's come to end sin. But I think that is a very narrow and shallow understanding of what he's truly come to bring us. Because true forgiveness of sins, a forgiveness of sins that can take sin truly away, what was needed was a high priest that was not subject to death. A high priest that did not have sin. Now, when God brought Jesus Christ into the earth, when he brought his logic, his word, his message, the manifestation of God or that which manifests God into the world, he did not show that he cannot have compassion with us. And that's what the rest of that scripture um, that I'm about to read is saying. So we find here in chapter 5 verse 1, it says that in the Old Testament, number one, there were priests that knew what sin was, that had compassion on people because they first had to offer sacrifice for their own sins. But we find that that system couldn't set people free. We read that in the introduction in, um, in chapter 7 there, where it says that the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law could not make anything perfect. The idea that God has is not that you just feel forgiven of your sin or that there's not a penalty or something like that. The plan that God has was to get a bride for his son. (laughs) That's the plan. The plan that God has was to have man share in the fullness of who God is. That is the plan that God had for us. His his plan was to bring the fullness of God to us. That was his plan. If you want to look at what the plan of God is for for individuals, uh, we find the full manifestation of God's plan in the resurrected Jesus at the right hand of God. And that is still not even the full view of what God will bring to the earth. That is just how the man would look, Uh, Jesus, how we as individuals will be. But imagine now individuals that look exactly like, is in union with God exactly like Jesus is, and the earth is full of them, and even matter itself is glorified with the very essence of God, nature. That's what God is planning. So he, the law can never bring that forth. And not living in consciousness of your sin every day, not living in consciousness of what you do wrong every day, is definitely part of that kingdom. Yet there is so much more that God has come to bring for us in Jesus Christ. So, um, he wants to bring perfection to us. And perfection is not defined in how you walk according to the law. Perfection is defined in, uh, in who God is. If God would look at himself, he is perfect. And then when he would put you next to him, you, not through the mirror of Jesus or looking through a glass or potentially, you know, um, looking through the blood of Jesus kind of a thing, you see yourself as perfect. No. In manifestation, stake on the plate, the real thing. So when we look at who God is and we would put him next, you put put yourself next to God, it must look exactly the same. 
And I'm not talking about your spirit. I'm talking about your body, you, the fullness of you, like Jesus. If you would take Jesus and put him next to God, he will be the full express image of the almighty God. You would like you, you would fall down and worship God when you see Jesus because it's the fullness of God bodily. And we have this bodily fullness. We possess that. And it is still, it belongs to us, and it's still to manifest by the Holy Spirit in us. And that full manifestation is what God has in mind when he talks about perfection. And the, the place, the destiny of that is you in this world. And should you die bodily, he'll raise you. But what he has planned, he'll get right. He'll manifest that. It's, uh, we've said it in the introduction for those that watch this on YouTube later on. Um, so those who've listened to the introduction, just excuse me repeating this. But the word intercession is basically the opposite of the word sin. Sin means to miss the mark. To intercede means to hit the mark, the goal. So he is our intercessor. He's the one that sees that we can hit the goal. That's what he brings forth in us. That's what he manifests in us. And that's a great hope. We have the hope as Christians when we say, thank God we move on from the place where we, uh, we're not walking by guilt anymore and we understand we are accepted. And we're even moving on to a place by his doing, by his intercession, not our abilities, but by his intercession as we rely and believe upon him, where we start to experience the first fruit of the Holy Spirit, or I would simply call it the manifestation, uh, the first manifestations of the very existence of God inside us. <laughs> Amen. That's very good news. Now, let's read on. He says here in chapter 5, the old priests had compassion, but they had this weakness. You know, they had to sacrifice for their own sins. So they could not really help somebody out of sin. They could only minister the lamb which says, okay, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. But they could never minister life. Never. Now it goes on. It says here um, in verse 5, it says, In the same way Christ did not take it upon himself, uh, the glory to become a high priest. So Jesus didn't decide himself, I'm becoming a high priest. Neither was Jesus a high priest for us when he was walking on the earth. He could not be our high priest while he was walking on the earth because he did not possess immortality. He was still a dying man, just like everybody, he had a mortal body. We, had, we have to see that. And that's what we're going to read now. He says, in the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today have I become your father. When was that? Acts 13 verse 30 to 33. That was when Jesus was raised from the dead. This day when he raised him from the dead, I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, uh, I'm sure you are familiar with what the order of Melchizedek is. The order of Aaron is the order of a carnal commandment, the order of uh, laws. 
wherein, as I've explained, they had these sac- uh, 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 sacrifices and so forth, which ministered a shadow of what was to come. But the order of Melchizedek is the order of an endless life. So the order of Aaron, all that could be ministered to you in the order of Aaron was sacrifices and the law. But the but what is ministered in the order of an endless life is it brings you an endless life. It's an out of context way, and what I'm about to say is a bit out of context, but it will help you understand. It's under the law, the you, you the order was give these people sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins. Under the New Testament the, and in Christ, the order is. I I order you to give them life. That is it. Jesus was ordered by the Father to bring us life. So it says here in verse 7, Jesus, during the days of when he was on the earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. So Jesus was subject to death when he was on the earth, and he needed salvation from death. So Jesus, when he was on the earth, he was subject to weakness, but he did not sin. He was just made mortal. He didn't disobey the Father, but he was under the power of mortality. But he offered prayers to the Father who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. So he submitted his life to God, and he said, he said, I cannot save my own life from death, but I submit to God who promised me life, and God promised him life. Then God raised him from the dead into perfection, wherein he could not die. And then after he raised this man, Jesus, from the dead, where he could never die, he ordered him as a priest to, to us, to bring us the perfection that he has. Hallelujah. It's so much higher than just forgiveness of sins. It's the order of sharing in the very existence of God. In our flesh. Beautiful. Son though he was, learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was des- it, uh, and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, which means the, his, his priestly order will never change and there will never be another high priest. So we will forever have a high priest that makes intercession, that gets it right in our lives to bring forth the life of God. That's what this is about. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? Now with this in mind, we read uh, the last part of chapter 4. We're now going back to chapter 4 because I read this to get the context of chapter 4. He says, therefore, since we have a high priest, which has ascended into the heavens, with, with meaning he possesses eternal life and he can never die, and he is now to serve us with life. It's not just, he doesn't just tell you you're forgiven of sin. Okay, you, you're not guilty anymore, or okay, I give you a second chance, or let's put a band-aid on. No, he's not saying that. He's got a better word of a better promise. What was the promise that there was under the 
um, if you bring a sacrifice. It was, okay, you're, you are now forgiven, and the next year you'll be reminded that you are still under the power of sin and you'll be forgiven again, and the next time you'll remind it again, and, and that's how it goes forth. But the promise we have in Christ is eternal life. That's the promise. He says, therefore, since we have a great high preacher who has ascended into the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We believe that he was raised and that we shall also have this eternal life. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But he have, I mean, he knows what it is to have our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So what he's saying is, we, and we are now in a time of need every day. A time of need is when you are tempted, and that temptation is obviously to walk in sin, and to destroy your own life, to walk by the power of the flesh. I don't want to get too technical in that. But as we behold the resurrected Jesus, he doesn't just tell us you are forgiven when you have sinned. No, he says, I have been raised up into eternal life and I am your intercessor. My goal is to see that God's goal is hit in your life that you can share in my life and he helps you, he aids you. That means it is we don't have a holy life by our commitment to God. We simply believe God and through the Father's commitment to us in Christ, Christ brings forth the life of God inside us. Hallelujah. Isn't that absolute, magnificent good news? I want us to go and look at um, a scary passage in the scriptures. Very scary passage. Now, let us first read chapter 4, 1 in Hebrews, and then we go to the scary passage. Now, there are some scary passages in the Bible. I've had many people say to me, Bertie, I don't read Bible. I just listen to messages because I read some stuff, then I get scared. Um, listen, you can read with boldness. The true interpretation of every scripture has been manifested in Jesus. So whatever scary verse you read is anyway correctly understood going to point to what I've already preached to you now. That is it. And the beauty about reading and grappling a little bit with the scriptures, wrestling with it, is you're talking to God about it. He's talking to you about it. Uh, you're thinking about how is this seemingly very condemning scripture going to end up in this love of God? How does this whole thing work? Who are we? Who is God? So as we wrestle, there's some good things. I mean, there's time when we wrestle with scriptures. The, uh, the idea is not to understand the scripture every day when you read it, understand everything. My salvation is not in, in understanding every verse in the Bible. Because if my, my salvation, your salvation was found in understanding every verse in the Bible, the illiterate can't be saved. Because I will even read the Bible. There are people that that has, that's never even, don't even have the whole Bible. There are people that are 
simply, just intellectually, never going to be able to understand the scriptures. It's impossible. Even if I think of myself, I don't think that I would ever understand every verse in the Bible. There's just certain contextual history that I will never be able to know. There's not enough years in my life to study all of that. I will not know it. But I rest assured in what I've seen in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yet, I don't say I'm not going to grapple a little bit with some verses. So we will look at some of those dangerous verses <laughs> today. Uh, Hebrews 4 verse 1, it says, it says, Therefore, since we have a promise of entering into his rest, and that that promise still stand, let us be careful that none of us would be found to have fallen short of it. So what he's saying is, is this promise of eternal life, we're still not seeing it manifesting in our life. It's just a promise. But what the scripture says is, as we believe this promise, we find a aiding against what destroys our lives in the here and now. There's something that aids us. There's something that helps us. It's, uh, and I'm going to share that example I've used this morning when Elena and I were talking about it is, if we have a promise that God would give us eternal life and we truly believe it, it will save us from death in this world now and the sin that leads unto death. Now I'll explain it to you this way. Let's say you are stranded on an island and it's a kind of a large island. Let's say it's about 10 kilometers from the one side to the other side. But you know the shipping route very well. And you know that the ship will pass by a certain point of the island where you are. You'll pass by, it passes by that island. And if you make a fire, they'll be able to see it. You know it. And you know that that ship will pass by there. The chance that you would be found on the other side of the island is very small. Because your faith and your persuasion will keep you in that place. Now imagine there would be poisonous snakes on the other side of the island. The fact that you have faith that the ship will pass by on that route, it will save you from the snake. If, the, if someone else gets washed out on that island, but he doesn't know that the ship will pass that way, and he doesn't believe that any ship will pass that way, you'll find him walking around on that island everywhere, and he'll face every dangerous thing that is on that island. Why? Because he's, lack, he's got a lack of knowledge, he's got a lack of belief in the shipping route and where salvation would be found. So we as the church, we who believe in the resurrected Christ, we who believe in the salvation that comes by Jesus Christ, we are in a certain place where that message of salvation helps us and aids us in this world against a lot of snakes, a lot of pain, a lot of hurts, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Uh, it, it aids us against that. It spares us that. It spares us a life born from our own willpower and our flesh because we rely upon him. We're patiently waiting for him. And since there's still the hope of this, since we're not seeing immortality in our body, how do we dwell according to that hope in this earth? We believe and patiently rest upon him. That's what we do. And we find in that belief and rest, 
certain actions in our life is born from that that saves us a lot of pain and turmoil. Now, it says in verse 4, there is still a promise, and still, since there is still a promise, let us not fall short of that promise. It goes on and it says here in verse 4, uh, chapter 4, it says, Now we have, we have believed, enter into that rest, just as God has said. So God says there's a rest for the people of God. We are not seeing that rest manifest, but as we believe, we enter into that rest. Our life is now born from the hope of that rest that is to come, and we find that there is a certain rest that starts to manifest in our life now. We are starting to rest from the fruit of the flesh. We are starting to rest from working up a life in this world by our own power. We're starting to rest from the hurts and the pains that come from a life that's born from uh, 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 self-effort. That's what we start to rest from. And it's, it says here that God was angry with those who fell in the desert. And that's what we're going to read in Second Corinthians or First Corinthians 10. I'll go and check now if it's first or second. But... He says, God was upset with those in the desert that fell because he led them out of Egypt. They were all baptized into Moses. They, were all, they all drank the spiritual drink, which was from the rock. They were all under the cloud. But with God was displeased with them because they were destroyed by serpents. The earth opened up and swallowed 23,000 of them because of sexual immorality. They, were, they died in the wilderness and God has sworn and said, these people shall not enter into my rest because of unbelief. Now, it sounds as if God is saying, well, these people didn't believe me, and because they don't believe me, I'm going to be stubborn, and I'm going to open up the earth, and they're going to be destroyed because they don't want to believe me, and who are they now not to believe in me, the Almighty God? doesn't work like that. doesn't work like that. It would be God's, God being angry would be equivalent to somebody knowing that he must uh, 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 it would be equivalent to, let's say, an airplane flying past the island where this person is, is on the island, seeing that he is in trouble there. And then that island, th that guy flies by again, drops something out with a message and say, wait right there, we're bringing a helicopter to pick you up. And that guy does not believe and then goes and walk around on the island and gets bitten by a snake and die. The helicopter pilot would be angry. Why would he be upset? The helicopter pilot would also say, should he know how dangerous the island is, he can also swear the way God has sworn and say, if they don't believe that we will pick them up, I swear they will not be picked up, they're going to die there. And I think that is what is what is written in, in, in Corinthians. So when when God said he, he was displeased with them, was that they didn't believe, and because they didn't believe, they started to worship idols. Idols cannot give life, and that's how they died. They became sexually immoral, and uh, the type and the shadow of the old was their own flesh opened up, and which is the earth, the earth we are made of, the earth. The earth opened up, swallowed them in, and they died, and they were destroyed. 
That's what will happen if we don't believe in the goodness of God, in what God has done for us in Christ. We'll walk in the flesh. Our flesh, this earth nature, will open up, swallow us, and destroy us. We find Paul talking about that uh, experientially. He says in Romans chapter 7 verse 9, he says that I was alive without the law. I was alive. But when the commandment came again, when I started to find my identity in Judaism again, I found that I died. Sin revived and I died. The earth opened up and swallowed him in. And he started to experience that who he is is starting to die. And death is starting to overtake his life. Now what Paul is saying is, let us continue to believe even until the last day. For all these things that we are experiencing now are just first fruits of what will truly take place in the last day. So let's go to Corinthians there. And... Um, Ah, how much time do I have left there, Elena? Twelve minutes. Okay, I'm going to see if I can finish this up in twelve minutes. Uh, let's go to this is First Corinthians chapter ten. He says, "For I don't, for I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual drink. They all drank the same. They all ate the same spiritual food. Drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from that spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So he says, this is a type and a shadow for Christians." Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as an example to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Now, I mean, that doesn't sound like too good news, isn't it? Now, you can go and read the rest of the passage for yourself. But what it says here, I just want to find the right verse um, It says in verse 11, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the end of the ages are come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Paul is telling the people in Corinth, Listen, now that you think you're a Christian, continue to keep your focus on believing that God will give eternal life to you as a free gift these people when they were in the desert they thought well okay we led out of Egypt but then they started to walk in doubt as pertaining to if God can bring forth the promised land and I think that is where we as Christians sometimes doubt God said that I will bring forth a holy life in you God says that I will even bring forth immortality to your physical body I promise you, I promise you that the physical Jesus can return, that the graves can open up or those that have been cremated, they can be restored by the working of God. The earth can be physically be made new and humans can experience the fullness of God bodily as what it is demonstrated in Jesus Christ that possesses an empty grave. 
It is true. And now in this earth, as you yield yourself to me, I can keep you away from the idol worship that there is in the desert. I can keep you away from the snakes in the desert as my example of the islands. As we keep our eyes on grace, we that's how we stand. We only stand by grace. So he was telling the people, the Corinthian people here, listen, you say that you believe in Jesus. Be careful that you're not becoming legalistic again. Be careful that you don't find your identity in your works again. Be careful that you, yeah, I think that is enough. I think you, you'll get what I'm saying there. It says now, and this is the powerful thing that I want to get to. Verse 12, so if you think you are standing, stand firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out that you can endure it. So. Can you see that even temptation is not something that we must conquer? It's something that he has promised. This flows with the whole passage in Hebrews where he says, Our high priest that we have, he, is, he has conquered death and he's conquered what leads unto death. So when you are in a difficult time, when you are tempted, come boldly to the throne room of grace where you will receive help in the time of need. 1 Corinthians 10 is an exact parallel to Hebrews 4.12 and onwards, where it says, For his word is powerful than any two-edged sword. It distributes life to spirit, soul, and body. That is what the, what the word does. It gives life even to the thought and the intent of your heart. So what he's saying is, in this world, we keep our eyes on the word of God, which is the promise of eternal life demonstrated in the resurrected Jesus. We keep our eyes on the truth, on his promise, which he fulfills by his doing. We keep our eyes there. As we keep our eyes there, that word of promise will distribute life to you. As what the word of promise on the island that the ship will come or that the helicopter will come, it will distribute life to you, even to the very thought and intent of your heart. If you receive a, a, an a airplane, throw something out of there, you get it, wait for the helicopter. The airplane cannot land you, but a helicopter can. The moment you receive that hope, the moment you receive that word of promise, what will happen? It will be sharp. It will cut into your very core and being. And what will it distribute to you? It will distribute hope to you. It will also give you plans and thoughts on how to live right now. Let me make a shelter right here. Let me go nowhere else. It will form your thoughts. It will form even the feelings and emotions in your heart. Now, in a simple example as what I've used now, we can see how it will produce hope as pertaining to being saved from an island. How much more? Will the hope of immortality, 
not your spirit going somewhere. I'm talking about immortality as de- defined in Jesus, the hope of a brand new earth, the hope of everything made new with the almighty God uh, synchronizing heaven and earth, and we believing that and beholding that in Christ as the word about us. What kind of a distribution of life will or not take place to our thoughts, the intent of our heart, our actions, and how we live in this world? We'll be the colony of God. <laughs> we'll be the church of God in the world. That's what will take place. And that is what is being said here. And when we are tempted, when we experience our weakness, Jesus experienced weakness as the priest did, but he doesn't slap a band-aid on it. He conquered the weakness. And when we come to him, he grace, by grace, he gives us a brand new life. I've seen people... Uh, in church, listening to the gospel, but not listening to the grace message as a grace, as I've explained now. And when they were tempted, they fell by the wayside. Their lives were destroyed. It's as if I'm going to solve this by myself. It's a, it, you can be devastated by that. It's dangerous. It's dangerous not to believe in grace. I tell you the truth. It's very dangerous to be at a place where you become the savior of your own life. It's dangerous. It can destroy you. And I want to just, as, a, as, a, as the pastor of this internet fellowship, I want to say to you with all love, because I care for you and I love you, focus on how, God, how much God loves you, what his love means in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, you that stand that are in the grace of God, always make sure that you keep focusing on his love for you and the message of his love for you. It says, lest you fall, meaning this world is full of temptation to have a faith where you live by your own power and find your definition again in what you do and like the old work system. Keep on the gospel of grace for even when temptation come, this gospel of grace can aid you with strength and bring and make you conquer that death in this world now. And the end will then be, in the day of the Lord, the full manifestation of his glory in our lives. Amen. Man, I've run out of time now. Um, I think I only ministered half of what I wanted to say. But I'm sure as you listen to this again and again, church, uh, and have your heart say, God, your life is the only life in the universe and beyond the universe because it's greater than the universe. That's the, it's the only life there is anyway. There is no other life than that life. And should I live forever, that's the only life that I can have is your life that life manifested in this earth in Jesus Christ was one where he gave his life to others and that mind can also be in us that was a life of kindness and goodness of reliance upon the father where Jesus Christ and and this is a good example when he was on the cross he prayed Psalm 22 to the father and the temptation to come off the cross and find his life by his own power was so great. But God helped him and provided a way out. 
that he couldn't be tempted with something that could conquer him. Why? Because he always said, I am not finding my life in my own works. I am believing on the one that can save me from death. I need salvation from death. I cannot conquer death by myself. I believe the Father. And in that simple belief, the power of the Spirit in Jesus was great enough to aid him that he would not fall for the temptation to come off the cross or in the desert or anywhere. And that is now available to us by Jesus as our intercessor. He'll intercede. And his intercession is to manifest his life in you today. Glory to God. With this said, I can end off in saying this. As this is our hope, and this is our truth, how can this world shape our lives? How can politics shape our lives? How can the things of this world have anything in us? It is impossible. It is impossible. This truth that I've ministered to you today is life-saving. It protects you. It gives you surety and makes you share in his, in his fruit even today. Amen, amen. Let us pray together. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you have come to bring your spirit to us, your spirit of life. You've given us assurance by pouring out the Holy Spirit on us. You've given us assurance as you manifest the fruit of the Spirit inside us. And you've given us assurance in raising Jesus Christ from the dead. And thank you that the judgment of God will come over us as you judge us righteous and give us life. Thank you, Father, that we can be part of your life and so also experience what it is to give our lives for the spreading of the gospel, for loving on other people, for being generous, experiencing uh, kindness and the fruit of the Spirit inside us. Thank you that you've come to save us. Everybody here that's watching this on the live stream or later on, I declare them blessed by Jesus Christ. I declare they have the hope of God, which is Jesus that gives them life. Amen and amen. Thank you so much that I could have ministered to you today. You are deeply blessed, and then I'll see you again next Sunday. Amen.